Welcome to the Battlefield Baptist Church Podcast. We are so glad you joined us and pray that this message is a blessing to you today. This week, we heard from our youth pastor, Travis Owens, with his message, It Is Appointed. He has created us. He has commissioned us to promote his glory throughout all the world. Hebrews 13, if you would turn there with me, if you will, please. Hebrews 13, the passage we are going to read is what is believed by some to be the summary statement of all of the book of Hebrews. And based on this passage, I want to ask you a question here this morning. And my question is this. Are we going to die inside the comforts of our convenient religion? Or are we going to respond to the reality of our mission? See, I believe that this is the question that thousands of believers face throughout all of time. And I believe it's the question uh, that believers here in the book of Hebrews face. And I believe it's the question that he, uh, that we this morning as believers face here. Begin in verse 11 with me. It says, For the bodies of those beasts whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin are burned without the camp. That is to say, outside of the camp. Wherefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered without, outside the gate. Let us go forth therefore unto him without, outside the camp, Bearing his reproach. Now, clearly, we have many, many questions concerning the book of Hebrews. One um, of them being the author who wrote the book, but there are things that we do know about the book of Hebrews. We do know that the book was written to Jewish Christians at a time when it was not easy to be a Jewish Christian. Full conversion to Jesus Christ was costly in the first century. And apparently, because of this, many believers were tempted to shrink back from their faith. And and not only shrink back from their faith, they were tempted to shrink back from their mission. They had been given a mission to take the gospel from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the very ends of the earth. Yet basically we can see throughout the entire book of Hebrews that the author is addressing two primary things throughout the whole book. One is that they seem to have been driven by a form of legalism. Somewhere along the way, how they worshipped had become more important than who they worshipped. They were so focused on the legalism of their religion that they were in danger of missing Jesus altogether. They were driven by a form of legalism. The second is that they were paralyzed by fear. And whether it was fear from expulsion or persecution from the unbelievers inside of the Jewish community, it was costly for them to follow Christ. 
And because of this, many of them were trying to figure out a way that they could remain inside of the camp of Judaism, yet still follow Jesus Christ. And the author of Hebrews is telling them here that it cannot be done. You cannot remain inside the camp of what is comfortable and still follow Jesus Christ. He says it cannot be done. They, as well as we, have been given a mission to declare the glory of Jesus Christ to the ends of the earth. And he's saying to them here, basically, you have two options. You can either retreat from the mission that you have been given, or you can retreat Uh, back to the comforts of this convenient religion, or you can risk everything for the mission that you have been given, right? Retreat or risk it all. And it's clear that God's people um, throughout all of history have faced um, these same two options over and over and over again. Much of the background of the book of Hebrews um, is, is the people back at Kadesh Barnea in Numbers. Turn there with me, if you will. Numbers 13, please. Remember the story. They are on the the brink of the promised land. I mean, it's right there. The land that God promised to give them. And what do they do? They send out 12 spies to to survey the land. The land that God had promised them. And they came back. And I want you to listen to what 10 of the 12 said. And you can find it in 13. We'll start in verse 31. It says, but the men... That went up with him said, we be not able to go against the people for they are stronger than we. And they brought up an evil report of the land that they had searched unto the children of Israel saying the land through which we have gone to search it is a land that eateth up the inhabitants thereof and all the people uh, that we saw in are men of great stature. And there... We saw the giants and the sons of Anak, which come from the giants, and we were in our own sight as grasshoppers, and so we were in their sight. Chapter 14, and all the congregation lifted up their voice and cried, and the people wept that night. And the children of Israel murmured against Moses and against Aaron, and the whole congregation said unto them, Would God that we would have died in Egypt, or would God that we would, would have died in this wilderness, And wherefore hath the Lord brought us into this land to fall by the sword that our wives and our children should be a prey? Were it not better for us to return into Egypt? And they said one to another, let us make a captain and return to Egypt. They were retreating. The mission right there in front of them. Go and conquer this land for the glory of God. You go and conquer this land to be yours with the mission right there. But they're saying, we want to go back. They're saying, we want want to go back. We don't trust you. And we remember the rest of the story. Moses intercedes on their behalf. And God forgives, but it was not without a cost. They retreated. And really this story is repeated over and over and over again throughout biblical history, right? Once they are established in the promised land, they retreat from ridding the land of the Canaanites. And eventually because of this, the name of God was defamed throughout all other nations. Once they were established, they reject God as their king. And they said, we we want an earthly king to rule over us. And this process um, defamed the majesty of God throughout all the other nations. 
And over and over and over and over again, we see that this is a story. God is calling his people to mission and his people retreating. So we fast forward to Hebrews 13, and this is what we have here. We have the people of God with the mission of God to proclaim the glory of Jesus Christ throughout all the world at the risk of everything. And we see them wanting to retreat. And the author of Hebrews is pushing them. He's encouraging them. Keep moving on. Keep moving forward. You have to get out of your comfort zone. You have to get out of the camp of what you know. Pause. Time out. The, um, the next 10 or perhaps 15 minutes, may get a little uncomfortable. And that is because it is not a popular opinion. But if social media has taught us anything over the last uh, two years, it should be that just because it's popular does not mean that it is right. Or, on the flip side, just because it stings a little or makes you a little uncomfortable does not make it any less right. Now, I am sure that there are people here this morning who said, man, I really don't understand. Why would you open up your message the Sunday morning after such an awesome missions revival? And it was. It was. Why would you open up your message the Sunday morning after this with a don't retreat theme. And Travis, we, we, we took up, we pledged to give over $374,000 to missions, to worldwide missions this year. And please, please, that is amazing. Please don't take from this that I do not think that that is important because it is important. Because of that money, we are able to partner with different missionaries. We are able to partner with more works. We are able to support more works. It costs money to win people to Christ, both here and abroad. And it is important. But, if I am giving as a means to merely appease God due to my lack of action concerning the Great Commission, because it is what is more comfortable, because it is what is easier, then that is disobedience. And that is sin. Look, this is what the author of Hebrews is saying. He's saying the bodies of those sacrifices were made for our sins, right? The bodies of those beasts, they were made, right? And the blood and the priest did the thing, and then he took the bodies outside of the camp. He's saying it's because of that when Jesus came and he died, he made the ultimate and final sacrifice for our sins. He did so outside of the camp. And what a beautiful, beautiful picture this paints of Jesus taking away the sins of the people. And the author's saying, look, you have been commissioned to spread the good news of that throughout all the world. And just like Jesus, that means you are going to have to get outside of the camp, outside of what you have always known, outside of your comfort zone. Their camp was Judaism. And I'm afraid that our camp is quickly becoming a convenient Sunday morning Christianity. 
And may God forbid that anyone ever come through a missions revival or a missions conference here at Battlefield Baptist Church and ever think that it was about the money. It's never been about the money. It's about the souls of men and women and boys and girls alike who will die and one day stand before the judge and they will have to give an account for the things that they have done in this life. And if their name is not written in the book of life, then they will be cast into hell for an eternity. But that's not the popular opinion. Popular opinion says things like this. Well, he was, he was always doing things for other people. And, and I am sure, I am positive that, that the good things that he did, they outweigh the bad. And I know he, he will be in heaven. Your popular opinion says things like, well, I mean, she was only 10 years old. 10 years old. And, and, and yes, I know that she knew right from wrong, but she was so young. Surely she won't have to stand before the judge. Or popular opinion says things like, well, he was really religious. I mean, he came to church all the time. He was there like every Sunday, even on Wednesdays. I'm sure if anybody will get the pass, he's going to get the pass. And really, we would rather focus on any other attribute of God other than the one that screams the importance of missions. We would rather focus on his loving attributes or, or his mercy or his graciousness or his long-suffering or his omniscience or his omnipresence. All the while, we attempt to sweep the righteous judge underneath the rug and explain him away with logic that says, how can, how can an all-powerful, all-knowing, and all-loving God let someone die and send them to hell when the real question ought to be, how can an omniscient, all-powerful, all-knowing God, knowing all my thoughts and all my motives, still let me live? Yeah, I can promise you, and just because you're not comfortable with God, the righteous judge, this doesn't make it any less of a reality. And John was blessed to have received a vision of this reality. And we can read about it in Revelation 20. Turn there, if you will. Revelation 20, beginning in verse 11, he says, And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away. And there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, both small and great, stand before God. And the books were opened, and another book was opened, which was the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and the death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, every man, according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake and fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. In the Apostle Paul's day, there were some, namely the religious, who believed that they could escape the judgment. And I want you to notice, let me turn to Romans 1. I want you to notice, Romans 1. We'll look at verse 20 and 21, and he shows that the typical Gentile of his day who did not glorify God was without excuse and was subject to judgment. 
Romans 1, we'll start in verse 20. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful. In other words, what he's saying is where there is sufficient evidence, there is sufficient knowledge available that God is worthy of honor and he is worthy of gratitude, yet people don't give it to him. They are without excuse and they are destined for wrath through judgment. Then in the the latter part of chapter 1 in verse uh, 28, Paul begins to describe the sorts of things that someone, a Gentile, an unbeliever, the sorts of things that someone who does not acknowledge God falls into. Look at it, verse 28. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things uh, which are not convenient, being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable, unmerciful, who knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. Those were the sorts, the kinds of things, the kinds of sins that Paul saw as he looked on to the Gentile, to the unbeliever. But there was a small group of people in that day, the religious, who looked upon the Gentiles with such disdain. And in their judgment, they reinforced their own sense of security from judgment. Yet according to the apostle, not only were the Gentiles without excuse and liable to judgment, so were they. This is the point that he's beginning to make in chapter 2. Look in verse 1. Therefore thou art inexcusable, O man, whosoever thou art that judgest, for wherein thou judgest another, thou condemnest thyself. For thou that judgest doest the same things. But we are sure that the judgment of God is according to the truth against them which commit such things. And thinkest thou this, O man, that judgest them which do such things and doest the same thing, that thou shalt escape the judgment of God? And this is exactly what they supposed, that they were going to escape the judgment. And Jesus addresses this very same issue. We see it in Matthew 11, beginning in verse 21. He says, woe unto thee, Chorazin, woe unto thee, Beth. Bethsaida, these are two um, Jewish, two religious cities. It says, for if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, these were two not religious cities, these were two Gentile cities, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the day of judgment than for you, worse for the Jew, worse for the religious than for the Gentile. In the day of judgment, not better. And that is what Paul is saying back in chapter 2 of Romans. If you skip down to verse 9, it says, Tribulation and anguish, anguish upon every soul of man that doeth evil. Of the Jew first and also of the Gentile. 
but glory and honor and peace to every man that worketh good, to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. Verse 11, for there is no respect of persons with God. Paul then gives the sum of the entire matter in the next chapter in verse 9. He says, what then? Are we better than they? No, in no wise. For we have before proved that both Jews and Gentiles, both religious and unbelievers, that they are all under sin. Paul is saying that their outward practice of religion is merely only fooling themselves. And not only were the people who openly practiced sin, but the, the religious would be held accountable before God at the great white throne. And what does that mean? What does that mean for us here today? That means for us here today, if you have not, those who have not accepted Jesus Christ, they have not trusted him as the Lord and the Savior of their life, trusted them to forgive him of their sins, trusted him to, to be their Lord, then we are all, they are all on an even playing field. No one better off than the next. God is no respecter of race. He's no respecter of status. He's no respecter of your job or how cool you think you are or how good looking I am. He don't care. And everyone who comes before the throne of the great white judgment whose name is no longer found written in the book of life will be cast into the lake of fire forever. To the Christian here today that may be a bit confused, the Bible speaks of two separate judgments. Plainly as I can tell you, you will not stand before the great white throne of judgment. But we can see from 2 Corinthians 5 and other passages that the believer will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. The Bema seat, if you will. You will have to give an account for the things that you have done in this life. And we can see from passages like this, passages like the, the parable of the talents, that there is an expectation that the believer is to use the things that God has blessed them with to advance his purpose. And one day we will have to stand and give an account for the things that we have done in this life. To the unbeliever here today, to the person who is maybe on the fence, who would maybe say, I have not believed, I don't know if I believe, I don't know if I want to believe, I'm on the fence, I have met tons of people throughout my life, both saints and sinners alike. I've met amazing people with amazing jobs, and I have met super poor people with uh, nothing. I have met people that most would look at and say, that's a really good guy, and I have met that some would say are, are the worst of the worst, and society has deemed them so. I have never met someone who regretted trusting Jesus Christ as their Savior. But I can promise you, countless millions upon millions have regretted not trusting Jesus Christ the instant they stepped out into eternity. 
I don't have to remind you how fragile life truly is. Event after event seems to be taking place that reminds us of this daily from hurricanes to earthquakes to wildfires to mass shootings. You are not guaranteed a tomorrow. The Bible tells us that your life is but a vapor. It appears for a little time, and then it vanishes away. I have um, one more scripture. The um, Bible tells us that one day every knee will bow, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. You will believe one day. I pray you do it before it's too late. Would you consider doing business with God this morning? I have um, one more illustration and then uh, I'll close. Um, this is not um, my illustration. I, uh, I borrowed it. From Francis Chan, actually. And I say borrowed because when it no longer serves the purpose to prove the point, I will give Francis his stupid rope back. (laughs) I want you to imagine with me, in adults this may be harder, I want you to imagine that this rope goes on forever. And it, it doesn't really. I mean, it ends somewhere up there. I want you to imagine that this rope is a timeline of your existence. Right? And this colored part here represents your time here on earth. Jesus asks a question in the Bible. He asks, asks, what will it profit a man? What does it profit a man to gain the entire world yet lose his own soul? And that's such an appropriate question because here's what we do, right? We we start out and, well, there's not not really much going on when we start out, right? There's a lot of, like, drool and you're like, ah, 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 and poop on yourself. It's crazy. It's madness. Not, not a lot happening. But then from a very early time, and it's, and it's instilled in us, right? We have to work very hard right here through this, this section right here. And if, if I just work really, really hard through here, then, then, then this section will be a little bit better. I'll have a little bit um, better status, but I'll, I'll also have to work hard there. And, and right, so when I get here, I can make a little bit more. But all the while, I mean, you got to work really, really, really hard. And then so when I get right here, it can chill, man. I can, I can go to the beach or I can sit back and suntan. And we work our entire lives. We try to figure out how, how can I work real hard here? How can I make this part here okay, right, so that this is immaculate? And all the while we have taken no thought on the rest of this. What will it profit you to gain the entire world and yet lose your own soul is what Jesus asks. 
And it's so appropriate. And the entire sum of the entire matter comes down to Hebrews 9, 27. It says this, it says, as it is appointed unto men once to die. You have got one shot, one opportunity, one life. There will not be a retest. There will not be a makeup test. There will not be a redo, a mulligan. You have one shot to prepare for all of this. Are you prepared today, believer? You have one shot. And then we have to give an account for what we did to help others prepare for all of this. Are you ready? Thank you so much for listening. For more information about our ministry, please go to battlefieldbaptist.org or follow us on Facebook or Twitter. See you next time.